Welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast. Hello and welcome to the Trilogy of Terror podcast. And this time it's not a proper episode, but I wanted to do an extra something for Halloween. And as I was at Celluloid Screams recently, I thought I'd do a quick run through of the 15 films that were shown and what I thought of them. But I also thought it would be nice to have a guest along for the chat and someone who I got to meet for the first time there. And that's Boz from the Little Pod of Horrors podcast. And I can't think of anyone I'd rather do a two-hander with. Ah. Innuendos aside, sir, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, we met at Celluloid Screams, and um, in any case, there's any doubters among there, there is a, a photo in circulation of you waving a chopper at me. Yes, and you with an inflatable chainsaw, which looks like something else entirely, but I'm not sure what that may or may not be. Well, you say it's an inflatable <laughs> chainsaw, we'll go with that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, who is this Bosblo? Who are you? Who am I? Hmm. Um I'm an old dinosaur of the podcasting world who's been kicking around about 10 years. Um, <laughs> I'm affiliated with a network called Simply Syndicated. Uh, I used to do a show called Here Goes Nothing, uh, which is basically a show where we talked about whatever we wanted. Uh, reviewed beer, talked about movies and computer games or whatever. And then we had to shut that one day. And uh, a good friend of mine, well, a good online, we call him imaginary friends because we'd never met. So he was like an online friend. Oh, right. Gordon started this show called The Little Pod of Horrors. I loved the name. I loved the way he ran the show. And he unfortunately had uh, stopped doing it because he moved to America. So I said, if you bring back the show, Gogsy, I'll co-host it with you because I would love to get my teeth into some horror reviewing. Mm. And he said, absolutely. We brought the show back. And I think that was six years ago or something now um oh wow yeah and gordon's life is very uh busy and complicated and stuff so he sort of took a bit of a backseat and said look just run with it so he's sort of given me the reins to do what i want with the show really oh, right. <laughs> so we have num numbered episodes where he comes on uh my friend timo who is finnish so we have yes one yes. in america one in finland and one in england and yeah, the number shows are us. And then I do lots of interstitial shows where I do interviews, uh, festival reviews, um, shows called Beers for Boz. Um, and that's how we fill <laughs> right. out our run. <laughs> right, right. And I, I was going to say, I don't think that's the only one you do, though. You do another one as well, don't you? We, we share mutual friends in the Legion podcast network. We do. And of course, um, the wonderful Court Psyops and, and The Witch from Dan Ander. Yeah, um, we've yeah. teamed up and we're doing a monthly show called Obsessive Cinema Discourse, which is on the Legion Network. And that's that's the other. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to horror itself, then. So what what are your kind of tastes in horror? Oh, it's really hard to define. Um, I, I think over the years doing the little plot of horrors and the kind of the pressure you feel as a horror podcaster to talk about the classics. I've realized I'm not very good at that. I'm really not good at going back and maybe looking at films I'd missed. Um, cause I think you appreciate those at the time they hit you. So I think we've, we've moved our focus very much more towards what's coming, what's new, what's arriving on the scene and where horror is going as a genre hmm. rather than looking back so much. We do a bit of it, but I think that's our main focus. And so for me, I'm always looking for, I suppose I'm a, I'm a thrill junkie. So I'm looking for the next film that really messes me up. <laughs> oh, right. So you're into the sort of hardcore stuff, are you? 
Yeah, I mean, I will watch anything in the genre. Uh, I can't guarantee I'll like it, you know, because some things do go too far. Um, but extreme gore doesn't bother me, you know, but you go as far as something like a Serbian film and it's like, no, I'm checking out at that point that, Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you because you because you were saying that, and it's almost begging for a question about well, what what is too far? <laughs> for for me, it's the it's the sexualize the over sexualization of horror, um, right? And doing something for the sake of getting a reaction rather than doing something that has a point, a plot, a purpose. Um, I mean, we actually on the little pod of horrors. If you say I'm going to say it on your show because it's allowed here, and this yeah. is the only time you'll ever hear me say this. Um, the word torture porn oh, will, yes, always, yes. will always be bleeped on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I cannot stand it because I think it, it implies that horror fans somehow get off sexually to watching horrible things happen to other human beings, and that isn't the truth of it. So right. films that do then try and do that i have an issue with if that makes any sense mm, mm, yeah fair enough fair enough. I, mean, I must admit it's not my favorite genre of horror so it's you know <laughs> i'm not sure and, and a serbian film is one that i'm aware of i've never really felt any uh desire to to go and watch yeah, yeah. okay then so i mean so celluloid screams this last weekend <laughs> how did how have you uh how have you managed over that how did you get through that um, well, because I, I do quite a few festivals each year now, and obviously I do the big Fright Fest f- festival in London every August, the bank holiday weekend. And that's four entire days plus Thursday evening. So actually something like Celluloid Screams, it does push a bit later into the night, which makes it a bit harder. But the actual you know, regimen of watching one film after the other, it's, it's actually sort of like an easier thing for me. Mm, mm. <laughs> that's insane, but... I mean, for me, I find it quite, uh, it's the sort of the long day, the, the late night and then the early morning, the next morning, I find a bit, for me, is a bit, because I'm at that, a certain age, you know, where I like to be, you know, come midnight, I like to be tucked up in bed with a hot totty. You know, that's my yes. sort of, uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, so my problem is watching these films is even if they're really, really good, come the second day, I'm having a little nod sometimes in the middle, mm. which is really hard not to do. And it like is. I said, it could be something really exciting and really gory or action-packed and are still kind of nodding off but uh, as i said that might be just an age thing i don't know i would always say if, you, if, if you're a filmmaker and you go to a film festival and you take your film there and you see people nodding off in your film don't ever take that personally no, they're no. at a film festival and you've yeah. got to sleep sometime <laughs> yeah so. yeah yeah are you one of the insane people that does things like the all-nighters when they do them I, I do one all-nighter a year and it's sort of because it's tradition uh, i do leeds night of the dead it's, it's a long way away as well. Um, right. But that's at the wonderful Hyde Park Cinema, which is a real old school cinema. And it's the same, pretty much the same crew every year. We have Dominic Brunt up there um, sort of hosting the thing. And that runs from about nine in the evening to about eight the next morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's brutal, but it's fun. Uh, the only problem is that by the time I've got there, because of all the other festivals, I've normally seen half the movies. So I oh. usually have a good excuse for a nap halfway through. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, onto the films themselves. So we got 15, I say films, films or, well, screenings, I suppose we could say, because one or two of them weren't strictly films. But uh, uh, we started off with the opening film, the big opener, which was called The Endless. And Mm. the interesting thing I thought about that straight away was that the two main characters were actually the directors in that. 
Yes. Um, basically, uh, the, the story is around two brothers who are returning to a commune or a cult. We're not quite sure at the beginning, which they left about 10 years ago. And it, it's one of those films it's quite difficult to say too much about without giving away, you know, giving spoilers. Um, yeah. But what did you make of that one as the opener? I see talking about what we just mentioned, <laughs> I let myself down big time in this movie. Um, <laughs> I had quite a busy week. So you slept I, through it. <laughs> I didn't sleep through it, but I was fighting to stay awake through the whole thing. And oh. I, I felt really bad because I'm like, this is no reflection of this movie. It's just my, my natural rhythm. This, this played at seven o'clock and I sort of get a sleepy time thing between about five and seven. I, it was obviously delayed. <laughs> so yeah. my body's going, Switch off, switch off, switch off. I went, no, this is good. I'm enjoying this. Stay awake. So I did see most of the movie, so I understood what was going on. But when it all goes a bit crazier towards the end, Mm. there are a couple of bits I just tuned out. I just, I must have nodded for like, I don't know, five seconds. Um, I I didn't nod off and I thought that as well. But uh, no, 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 but that wasn't a criticism. No. Um, It's one of those films where there's lots of very puzzling elements that are all thrown together in it. So it's a bit of a mystery what's going on. So it looks like it's going to be one thing, um, but it turns out to be something slightly different. Uh, And like you're saying, it's sort of the first half, it's kind of about this this cult and whether or not they are a death cult because we don't quite know and then as it goes on it becomes something much bigger i mean i thought it was quite interesting i thought there were lots of sort of puzzling bits in it and there were lots of strange little details i mean the, you know this is a cult that's got a an all-powerful godlike being that communicates through videos and cassette tapes and photos and things which is quite yeah. intriguing you've hmm. got there's a woman there with a missing husband and then there's um little notes saying please be quiet there's lots of very intriguing things all Mm. around this so it it, one that kind of catches your interest so i quite liked all that i thought that was quite an interesting setup um and they they play around with things like time and space and stuff but Mm. um i thought there were some good effects in it and i thought it was the acting was pretty good in it i thought that was okay um yeah the uh, full of very very good looking people and an old man with a beard, so <laughs> just the one. But uh, the, my only thing with that was I thought it was quite slow paced, and I fa- it sort of sagged a bit in the middle for me. It, I felt it could have been trimmed a bit. Yeah. I think the running time was it was about one hour fifty, but I genuinely thought I'd watch something that was about three hours at the end because it just kind of got very slow. I'm not saying I didn't like it at all. I just It just did feel quite slow-paced. But, uh, you know, that was my thoughts on it. I, I quite liked the story and everything, and I liked the effects and all that, but it was just a little mm. bit slow in the middle, I thought. I think that's why I nodded. It was a pace thing. It was a very mm. slow burn, and I, I feel it deserves another watching from me. Um, also, they do the film... Uh, possibly spoiler it references something else that i haven't seen so i need to see that right right um, i mean it it definitely is one that would do with another watch because it becomes quite quite bonkers really towards the end and it's true to in mm. order to try and work it out you probably would need to rewatch it and get a lot more from it i think the second time you watch it but uh Mm. yeah yeah so that was the first film that was the opener Second film coming up was Borley Rectory, which was a very different beast. <laughs> very <Yes>. different. <laughs> and it's interesting that it's one of uh, two which feature Reese Shearsmith this year. Yeah. And, and, of course, he appears in person as well later on in the, the weekend. Mm. Um, this was a very different kind of thing because it's a documentary, which was a surprise to me, actually. Um, yes. 
Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. So a very stylized documentary with narration all the way through and some reenactments and things. What did you make of the 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 look of it? I wasn't sure at first. Um, I mean, I suppose you'd call it a dramatized documentary. Um, hmm. And it's been done in a very, I don't even know what the period is, but a very, very old style with lots of grain, yeah. and obviously added grain and light blooms and things like this yeah 30s i think it was yeah yeah it's sort of flicker film period sort, mm. Of, <laughs> sort mm. of look to it and i was like, oh, i don't know if this visually works as a style but by the time you're sort of halfway through you you you're used to the style of it mm. and you know being a bit of a filmmaker nerd type person i i was i was analyzing how he may or may not have done certain things um yeah and i i found Parts of it didn't quite fit. They didn't quite work. But by the end of it, it sort of had this charm and it sort of endeared itself to me. It's it's really mm. kind of odd in that way. And then afterwards, obviously, with the Q&A with the director, Ashley Thorpe, um, to hear how he put it together and how long it took, I, I think it sort of went up in my stakes again then, sort of from an appreciation point of view. Yeah, it- a very unique look to it yeah definitely i mean it's got like you said that old-fashioned look it's got the sort of flickering and it had like dust spots that it reminded me of like you know dandelions when you blow them and all the little you know that sort of look the only thing with me is the other way around i i loved it at first i thought it looked really good then after about 10 minutes 15 minutes i was like that's enough (laughs) it started to sort of get get a bit wearing after a little while but um it was very impressive i really liked the way the effects they used in it it was a really good mixture of stuff so Mm. they used actual photos of the real bally rectory which i thought was very clever you know real photographs of the interiors and the exteriors and they just they also did um a lot of green screen so you know they put the actors into the sets and they used stop motion and they drawn animation there was some cgi there were different layers of things superimposed i mean it looked really good and it was Mm. a very interesting thing about how many different techniques they they put into one film and they did some quite nice stuff as well like the using shadows and reflections and things you know yes. they, they were quite clever with that there was a lot of moments where you think did i just see that you know <laughs> little, little things you catch from the corner which i thought looked really good so i thought it was a quite an unusual way of doing it and i thought it looked really good i thought the in- information was interesting as well mm. you know because it was actual the story you know of, of what was meant to happen there and everything um i i enjoyed it but whether i'd watch it again i don't know because mm. as i said the, the sort of effects were great but by the end i sort of had enough of them <laughs> is it one that you'd watch again do you think i'm like that with documentaries anyway i don't think i've ever watched a documentary twice and i sort of see it as a documentary even though it's highly stylized mm. um so no probably not but I do appreciate it for what it's done. I mean, there, there were points I, I thought they'd used an actual set at some points in that movie. Yeah, it turns out, yeah. no, everything was yeah. green screen with the actors. Um, so I'm like, well, okay, well done indeed, sir. I, I agree. I mean, I, it looked very convincing as a set. And, um, and I'd done a little bit of reading up in the past about this, just online and stuff. And mm. I recognised that is the house, but the house I know isn't there anymore. <laughs> so... I, you know, it had me thrown for a minute, and mm. then after that, you kind of realise that they're just using photographs very, very well. So, mm. it was a very, very clever, very clever film. And a Julian Sands voiceover, which is, you know, yeah. 
I was interested to hear when they were doing the Q&A, they said that they'd got that first. They did the voiceover mm. first, which was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, obviously some development hell going on. And then obviously the addition of Reese Shearsmith's kind of oh, put yeah. a rocket on the back of it and someone lit the fuse. <laughs> so. um, right. And film number three, which now I keep getting this name wrong, so I've had to write it down, is 68 Kill. Yes. Um, and this, and for some reason in my head, I keep wanting to call it Kill 69. I wonder if I'm thinking of something like Sham 69. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. But I don't know. But um, I seem to have a mental block with it. It's a very sexy film. <laughs> well, true, true. Depending on what you what you define as sexy is very, yeah. Um, it's got the, the bloke from Criminal Minds, which was quite interesting, because he was also in um, Excision, Suburban Gothic and Trash Fire, which were all by the director, Richard Bates Jr. And mm. the main woman in it was also in Excision and Trash Fire. So that's quite an interesting little thing. Was she in Excision? I did, wow, I didn't clock that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, interesting setup, interesting characters, I thought. I really liked it. I mean, you've got the, the guy from Criminal Minds who's like the nice guy. He's, a, he's nice in a bit of a damp tea towel sort of a way, nice. <laughs> yes. And then the woman, wow, what a character. <laughs> yeah. She was brilliant as a character. I mean, she's basically like a sexual sadist and psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> and she just uh, she just chews the scenery. I mean, she's brilliant. Mm, um, mm. I actually, I think I enjoyed this more second time round because I saw this at Fright Fest, and I was, ah. I was really looking forward to seeing it again, and I was yeah. not disappointed. Yeah, yeah. The story is they basically decide they're a couple. They decide to steal sixty eight thousand pounds from. I, I presume it's a sugar daddy or something yes. or, or something. I'm not sure what the relationship is between him and her. I don't know. And it was all going to be no one gets hurt, but it turns out that that's not the case. And she turns out to be a very different kind of person to what he expects. And it's a dark comedy that just gets darker and darker and darker yeah. the more it goes. <laughs> Um, I, it was quite. In fact, it was very violent, very brutal. I was quite surprised by that, considering where it started off. But mm. um, yeah, I thought it was funny. It had a really good script to it, and I thought the two leads were very, very good in it. I thought what an amazing killer character that was in it as well, and it was really well. I thought the the filming was good. It was well lit and photographed, and lots of colours and things like that. So I thought it was quite a, a an interesting film to watch. I thought it was quite a good film to watch that one. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it got a bit of, uh, con not controversy, but because it was introed at Fright Fest by producer, I think, because the director was unavailable. They talked about him in the creation of the thing and they they were saying this is this is a, you know, a good film for women and so on. It's like, well, it's it's about strong mm. women, but, you know, it's, yeah. it, it does sort of overtly sexualize them as well. So you couldn't yeah. put this down as a feminist movie. Um, yes, the women are strong, but, you know, they're all you know look amazing in hot pants and stuff like that so <laughs> it, it kind of it, to me i said well look you, you've you've got to look at it as yes there are strong female roles in this film but it is still an exploitation movie really and that's the kind oh, of yeah. style it has um so you've, you've kind of got to cut it some slack for that um but yeah the the, the pacing of this one it, it does dip a bit in the middle but not too much and you know the crescendo you get at the end is just, <laughs> just bonkers. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because you're saying about the, the feminist thing. I mean, yeah, I agree. But uh, I wonder if they're thinking of things like there's a certain amount of role reversal with the two characters. There is, yeah. Um, you know, so like he's the sort of passive one that talks about wanting to to 
be loved by her and love her and she's um you know sexually aggressive and stuff like this so whether that was what they were thinking of i'm not really sure um mm. anyway so that was that was that one um the next one number four is i remember you which was an icelandic ghost story <laughs> So yeah. this, again, very different tone to the previous films, again. And this one was one of a few that have very good openings. In this case, it was a dark kind of an opening with somebody hanging in a church with mm. a message, forgive me, and done all in very high contrast shadows and lights, very Scandi Noir sort of a look to it, yeah. um, with amazing scenery and photography, kind of bleak and cold. And there's a really ominous feeling and everything so very much that style mm. and that's just the beginning you know that's the opening to it i think i was in the minority on this one because it seems to have split opinion and i i haven't really watched any of those style of movies the scandinavian noir sort of look the i just imagine that's what iceland looks like every time i see it on something <laughs> it looks kind of bleak and cold and uninviting looking um so yeah the style of it's amazing and this is a real slow burn movie as well and mm. there were some people complaining that perhaps it was too long. But my argument to that is, is okay, but maybe you just, you were expecting a different pace. So you didn't then drop your pace to suit the movie, if that makes any sense. So mm -hmm. my point mm -hmm. is that although it's slow paced at no point is there filler. I think every no, scene, every no. setup drives the plot forward. It knows where it's going all the time. It gets there. This is the only film of the festival that put a shiver down my spine. It made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I can't tell mm. you how hard that is to do now. So for me, this goes up like three points for doing that to me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, oh, I'm glad you said that. When you said I was in the minority, I didn't know what you were going to say then. <laughs> uh, but no, I love this. I thought this was a very, very good film. This was right up my street, this was. Um, I like that it, it's got two stories running in parallel which don't seem to be connected. So you've got a young couple with a female friend. They're renovating an abandoned old house, which is, I thought was amazing. The house is very creepy looking, yeah. um, like a corrugated tin sort of a, with lots of rust on it and two windows that look like eyes. Really creepy looking house mm. um, with its own dark secrets. And in the, the same time, you've got another story running with a psychiatrist, I think, yeah. who is investigating the suicide we saw at the very beginning. But at the same time, he's also dealing with his own grief because he's got a, a young child that's gone missing. Mm. And all the way through, you kind of know that these two stories are going to come together. But it's when and how is the issue. You yeah. know, that's what I really liked is you were all the while trying to work it out. Um, and yeah, it was a slow burn. But I felt for me it really drew me in, even though it was a slow burn. And I thought it had a really clever twist that I really didn't see coming. I was distracted by something else and mm. I didn't see the surprise coming. Uh, I just thought it was a really good story, well told. It was haunting and creepy and it had some scary, good, scary moments in it. Yeah. But there's also quite a lot of pathos in there as well. It was quite sad in a few bits as well. Mm. And the closing shot, wow, without giving anything away, the closing shot, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was very much up my street. It had a, you know, a really good, good story to pull me in. Interestingly, I, I spotted one of the major plot points very early to, sort of mm. the, the, to solve the puzzle. And normally that takes me right out of the movie and I'm like, just get on with it. Um, but even though my brain went there immediately for some reason, mm. um, it didn't 
spoil the experience at all. I, I don't yes. bear it any ill will because of that. And that's that in itself is pretty impressive. It doesn't matter if you work it out. No, that's right. And I, I think the same thing. There was something that I spotted earlier on and I thought, ha ha, I felt really pleased with myself because I I thought I've worked out what, what they're talking about and I know what they mean. So I've worked that all out. Mm. And I was so busy thinking about that. I completely missed the big twist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that serves me right for being a smart ass while I was watching it. But <laughs> so anyway, that was the, the fourth film. Um, the fifth film after this was Habit. Um, now, this is the one that's set in a kind of a seedy underworld of Manchester, I think it is. Yeah. And we've got a main character called Michael. I thought he did, uh, did a really good performance. He was actually one of the people that uh, was doing a Q&A afterwards. Um, he gave a really good performance. And the film obviously is quite eager to show off his bum quite a lot in there. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't complaining, but, you know, they did seem to quite <laughs> like that asset. And, yeah. um, but he's an unemployed young lad and he meets a young woman called Lee. Mm who needs somewhere to stay and through her he gets to know her uncle ian who owns a massage parlor and he ends up working there as a doorman and that's kind of the setup to it but what i thought was interesting with this was that it starts off being a sleazy thriller and i was watching it thinking well it's not really horror it's a thriller mm. and then it suddenly takes a complete turn in a very gory horror direction yeah. it's it's quite surprising the turn it <laughs> It's it's this is my big question mark movie from the festival because I did enjoy it. Um and obviously when it brought in the horror elements, I was like, okay, this is my wheelhouse. Um Yeah. But by the end of it I was kind of I was a bit nonplussed still. Which is a shame because there's I don't feel there's anything wrong with the movie. Now I remember seeing trailers for this um pre the Mayhem Festival just the weekend before, because they had it as well. Uh, right. And normally I would attend that festival, but couldn't this year. And uh, I looked at the trailer for this and I thought, I love the way this is lit and shot. It it it, it looks like a really accomplished oh, yeah. piece of work. Brilliant. The the use of neon and colours and mm. reds especially was, was excellent. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I've got a soft spot for Roxanne Pallet, so that cheered me up when she turned up. <laughs> oh, which one was she? Uh, she was, uh, is it Alex? The, the girl at the massage parlor, basically. Oh, right. I, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think she's from, I guess I'll get killed for this, Coronation Street. Not Is em, she? Not Emmerdale. I always get those two mixed up because I don't watch soaps. So she's from Ooh. either Emmerdale or Coronation, but I think it's Coronation Street. And she starred in a film called The Devil's Tower um, with Jason Mewes from Jay and Silent Bob. Um, oh, right. Which was directed by Owen Tooth, who's kind of friend of the show for us so <laughs> right right um so i got a bit of a bias there but i thought she was fantastic in that film it's the first time i've seen her act properly yeah um yeah and i thought she did an amazing job in this film as well i mean she was good yeah yeah i mean she's gorgeous but that isn't that you know she, she can act as well <laughs> Don't yeah look that. oh yeah yeah um, oh definitely i mean you know that's the whole point of her character she you know she's she's meant to be gorgeous and mm. yeah i can totally see that but no she was very good and Elliot James Langridge, uh, who was the who plays the main protagonist, he came onto the job because they lost their lead actor like a day before the first day of shooting. So right. he came in at really short notice. And Owen had already told me this. 
And then obviously we heard him say it again in the Q&A after the movie. Um, and actually, luckily, I managed to end up next to him as we were leaving the cinema. So I got really? chatting to him and I said, I just, I said to him, like, I'm, I just want to say I'm really impressed with your performance because I know you didn't have much time there. It's only two days. He says it wasn't even two days. It was more like a day and a half. God. And I said, but you don't even get chance to inhabit the headspace of the character in that much time. And he's like, no. yeah, but in a way it was kind of better because if I came on set and I just screwed everything up, <laughs> I had the best excuse in the world. I was like, fair play, sir. And, and so let's be honest, he barely had chance to inhabit the pants of that character. <laughs> <laughs> I think he enjoyed that role. Yeah, to be <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. But the, the the film itself with the twist is, uh, I think that's where I had an issue with it because I quite liked the first mm. half of it when it was one thing, the kind of thriller half. Um, uh, I kind of liked the second half, which was the horror half, which I won't describe because that will give too much away. But I think yeah. for me, the twist itself was a bit, it felt a bit jarring. So I mm. think I found it a bit hard to take seriously because it was such a big twist. It just felt... I don't know, it just, yeah, jarring is the only word I can think of. It kind of put me off a bit, that twist. I don't know. I think part of it is how easily characters fell into things. Yes, and yes. You would, I don't think you'd accept something like that quite so easily. Um, and that's yes. an issue. But also the, the, last, the last big crescendo of the movie, uh, there's issues with how it's choreographed, or not mm -hmm. choreographed, but how it's, how it's played out. It's it's a little bit frustrating, and that's where it lost me. Yeah, yeah. In people's decisions and things like that. It's a little bit. Yeah, nah, would you do that? Would you? No. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's why it ended up falling flat, and it was doing really well up to a certain point. Yeah, I I was really into it until the twist, and then mm -hmm. it just kind of knocked me a bit, and then I found it hard to get back into it after that. Whereas yeah. if it had all been the same as the second half, I would have probably liked it. Yeah. It was it was the change that I that I was sort of I don't know you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. By no means a bad movie though. No no no, no not at all. Yeah. Mm. It had a recurring theme that kept coming up through it, um, not particularly subtly, but the theme was family. And I think if you were watching this and wanted a drinking game, every time someone mentions the word family or one of us, take <laughs> a drink and see if you're still conscious by the end of it, because <laughs> that's come up so much. <laughs> yes. Right, on to the next one, completely different style again. The number six is Tragedy Girls. Now then, this one um, goes more into the comedy kind of thing, and it has another great opening sequence, which I really liked, which has a yeah. psycho killer in a mask and a machete attacking a couple who are making out in a car. But the twist to the beginning bit is that he gets trapped and becomes a prisoner to two teenage girls. Yes. So, I, I mean, at first I thought they were going to be vigilantes or something, but they're not. They actually want mm. him to train them up so that they can become, quote, legendary serial killers. Yes. This, I thought, was a great satire on social media and YouTube generation and how people see their worth and popularity being measured by how many followers and retweets they get mm. and, um, and that kind of thing. So it's all about popularity and building an audience and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, in fact, there was a, a great line at one point where I think they're being chased by someone and the quote was, uh, it says, maybe stop checking in your location online and he won't find you. And she yes. says, I'd rather die. <laughs> Love that. So the monsters in this are kind of social media monsters being created. It reminded me a lot of Yoga Hoses. 
Oh, right. Yet. Have you seen that? No, I haven't had a chance yet. I've not heard good things. <laughs> You're not going to hear them from me either. Okay. <laughs> right. It kind of reminds me of that because it has the two lead girls in it who are obsessed with checking their phones and doing things on social media and everything. And it's a horror comedy in a similar way, except this one I think is much funnier and it's much better done. Mm. You know, the, the girls are, are annoying, but I can live with it in this one. Whereas the other one, uh, Yoga Hosers, I was almost screaming to get them off the screen because they were annoying me so much. Oh. And um, and I just found it unfunny, you know, not even not very funny, but the opposite of funny. It was, yeah, I didn't I didn't like that at all. So this, I think, is what that was trying to be like. Mm. The other thing that's that was good about it was it was absolutely packed full of references to other horror films. Did you pick up on loads of these? Oh, the, yes, I love them. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we can't talk about any of them because people really need to see them, don't they? But uh, absolutely. But I, I love that uh, the bizarrest one I thought was it actually had a reference to Cannibal Holocaust in it. Did you spot that? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah, I was. I looked at that, and, and I've not even seen cannibal holocaust but even i could spot that one i thought <laughs> wow that is what that is but there were so many references either visual references or mentions and things like that and there was a brilliant halloween one towards the end yes which i thought was <laughs> incredibly well done yeah, yeah it was very very funny it, it's it's another one i'd already seen and it's another one um that i enjoyed more second time round. I, it's weird because you know where it's going i mean there's no real twist to this movie no. um but I just, I think I knew the bits I liked going in and it allowed me to see other bits that I liked going through. It's just so knowingly done and it's clearly mm. done by lovers of horror films. And it's, it's a real twist on what people have seen before. The idea of these girls getting popularity off the back of horrible things happening. Yes. And obviously being called <laughs> tragedy girls. Mm. It is, that in itself is such a horrible concept. <laughs> 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 the way they're just trying to, all they care about is followers and you just, you know, it's it's based on death and destruction, really. Um, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the ex-boyfriend with the motorbike is one of my favourite little setups that they do. Oh, the ex-boyfriend the motorbike is one of my favourite bits, but probably for <sighs> a different reason. But <laughs> uh, Oh, so the music got to you then. <laughs> Every time mm. he talks, that music underneath. It was funny. Oh, Very so well good. done. Yes. The only one that puzzled me along a lot was when they had um, Big Owl the Fireman in it who's mm. this big guy who if if anyone sees the office the u.s version of it is daryl from the office mm. and he's there as his fireman and he keeps being referred to as being so hot and yes. so and <laughs> i would I, I kept looking at it and thinking really really <laughs> i couldn't quite work that out but i i think that was a little tongue-in-cheek <laughs> uh yeah i was gonna say but i'm missing something here but I thought it had some really good gore effects. In fact, um, there were two of the killings in particular that were so well done that they actually got big, loud rounds of applause from the audience, I noticed. Yes. <laughs> That's why I love watching these films of horror audiences. Oh, it's yeah. just the best one to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, but the, the guy who plays like the machine-wielding killer at the beginning, I don't know his name, and I really should learn it, because he, I think he is fantastic. Um, he plays unhinged just so well. <laughs> Oh, and he was great in this. I loved his character in this. Brilliant. Does, he's not in it much, but when he's in it, he really makes his oh, presence yeah. felt. He he does the part very, very well. Yes. <laughs> 
Right, so moving down our list, the next one is one of these that's not really a film. It's the Inside Number 9 one. And so what we had here, we had Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton um, introducing and then doing a Q&A afterwards of three episodes from Inside Number 9, which is a TV show. Mm-hmm. And it's by the same people and in the same tone as The League of Gentlemen and Psychoville, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. they had two kind of classic episodes one from the first season and one from the second plus the bonus was they had a new episode from the new new season which has yet to come out over here anyway so the the two that they showed that before the new one was the harrowing it was called which was the end of season one yeah and seance time which is the end of season two now what what are your thoughts on inside number nine first of all and then what about those two episodes well i i was really lucky here because uh, I'd heard about Inside Number Nine on uh, the podcast Under the Stairs. Uh, they first turned me onto it, and I found it was on Netflix. And I managed to watch two or three episodes of the first season, but I never carried on with it, just because I have so much to watch. It's really hard to prioritize things. So I knew they were coming. I was like, oh, I wonder if it's new episodes. Um, so I was lucky that all three that they played at Seven oh. Screams, I hadn't seen any of them. Oh, and wow. I love them. I, and weirdly, I'm not a League of Gentlemen fan. I, oh, I, I nearly, oh. I always nearly say the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> very different. Yeah. Very different property. <laughs> um, but yeah, I never got into that. I just missed the boat. Um, and Psychoville, I never watched either. So I kind of have no pre-existing affection for these guys and what they do. But Inside Number 9 is... It is an example of fantastic writing and sort of production and everything else is one thing, but the writing itself of each of these little short stories is just so well done. I'm just blown away by it and I will be watching all of the rest now. It's a really good mix, I think, of a good comedy script, but also a real passion for old horror films or classic horror films. And Mm. you can really see the the influences and everything like that so yeah i mean the the two older episodes they showed in particular were really funny but also really quite scary as well in places yeah seance time was Mm. it really creeped me out at one point i'm like this is brilliant Mm. (laughs) oh and it's got alison steadman in it It was one of my favorites so she was so good in it and but the the characters are just so horrible in it which is intentional you know these old loveys and and um media types and theatrical types so they're just so horrible in it but and such a a great um storyline and the harrowing is the first one that was one i remember being i was absolutely you know knocked off my feet when i first saw that i thought it was brilliant um it, you know, with the the schoolgirl babysitting an older guy in a creepy house, and mm. and it, it reminded me a bit of um, the House of the Devil. House of the Devil, I was going to say. That, very, yeah. remi- very much reminds <laughs> me of that. Yeah. But yeah, but as I said, done for comedy, but still really scary in parts, mm. and some terrific acting in it as well. I love the yes. two the two schoolgirls in it. Really mm. funny, great comedy acting. So yeah, I really like this and. Did you like the new one? You you said you liked them all. Yes, I mean, the new one was again in the same vein. Uh, I mm. just and I love the fact that they they're, they're of, of a certain age and they like <laughs> to bring in these younger characters and then just play off the generational thing. So there is a couple of uh, well, it's, it's three uh, house cleaners who go in and take care of a place after someone's died, mm. and uh, they've got a 
you know, they're wearing the overalls and stuff. And the girl that's with them is really young. And they just keep going, oh, yeah, 80s reference, sorry. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and that gives it a really good dynamic. But, again, it's just the, the originality of the ideas as well. You know, so some people search their whole lives to have an idea like that to make maybe a short. And these guys just managed to write entire seasons of them. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure there's maybe some more duff ones in there if you watch a whole season, but so far I haven't seen a bad one. Yeah, because they're, they're, each episode is a different story and everything. So there's going to be some that work better for some people than others. So, you know, you've got, but then I quite like that there's a variety in there. Yeah. You know, different tones and different themes and different stories and things. So I enjoyed them and I can't wait for the new series to come out. Yes. And great to have a Q&A with them afterwards, which was all too short, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I didn't take the opportunity to go and queue up because I, they were doing signatures and whatever. And my friend was saying, oh, I can't get them to record something for the show. And I was like, well, I I don't have a like, – I'm a fan from today, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And these people have obviously followed them for years. I don't want to get in that queue and get in someone else's way. So, it, <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, some of us might have queued up and fought our way to the front with the recorder, so <laughs> as will probably be revealed when I edit this later. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad I didn't get in your way, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be like a steamroller coming towards you if you'd have got in my way then, I tell you. <laughs> out of the way, out of the way. <laughs> with that inflatable chainsaw. Ah! <laughs> oh, you flatterer. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the history of the horror genre, there have been those that say horror is for the weak-minded. We here at the Little Pot of Horrors do not take kindly to such derisive inference. We are the bastions of tact, good taste, and highbrow horror discussion. Look no further discerning listener, for here, the world of modern horror is discussed with reverence, respect, and similitude of decorum. such a bitch <laughs> hey everybody this is tim dorn and you are listening to the little pot of horrors even the people who hate horror love to talk about horror because they love to talk about how much they don't like horror i don't know do you want me to google horror movie ghost in the attic hi i'm nacho vigalondo director of time crimes and open windows and you know what i'm listening the little pot of horrors Seriously, though, join us for festival reviews, interviews, and guest spots from fellow beloved broadcasters. See? I told you I'd f*** it up. <laughs> My name's Gareth Evans. You're listening to The Little Pot of Horrors. By sexualized horror, do you mean horror? No. No, exactly. I've got to bleep that now. <laughs> Hello, this is number one New York Times bestselling horror author Scott Ziegler, and you are listening to The Little Pod of Horrors, which does for podcasting what Chucky does for daycare. The Little Pod of Horrors. The best idea since premarital sex on Halloween. Come find us on simplysyndicated.com and on iTunes. If you dare. Anyway, I was going to ask you as well. So, so far with the with this sound thing, is this uh, still working okay for you? Can you still hear me okay? And yeah, and that's all that working. Perfect. In fact, 
If you are breathing, I'm not hearing it. <laughs> oh, I, I am sure breathing. I can assure you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'd know if I wasn't breathing. Yeah. And in any case, in any case, I leave this in, and anyone's wondering what I'm, what on earth I'm talking about. I was just going to say that you very kindly were giving me some podcast advice over the weekend because I had been having a problem with blowing, which you helped me work out that it wasn't my mouth technique, but it was more the angle. So, yes, it's all down to trying a different position, and it seems to be working. But anyway, enough about my microphone. and That's so a clip on Cinema PsyOps. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> um, back onto these. And uh, the next one is Downrange, which was the secret film. Yeah. Now, I was very excited about the secret film because last year the secret film was The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which I thought was amazing and was the best mm. film of, the, of the, the whole weekend last year. So I was quite excited to see this one. And it is the same director who did Versus and Midnight Meat Train and No One Lives, among other things. So quite mm. a well-known director. And it had a, a really good beginning again. So you've got a group of young people in a four by four traveling through the middle of nowhere when suddenly they have a tire blowout mm. and they have a very attractive cast involved in this, especially the one with the big chest and the biceps. <laughs> I think we're probably talking about a different one, but I mean the one in the blue t-shirt. <laughs> no, I know exactly who you meant to. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it starts off like that, but all of a sudden they realize that the blowout was actually caused by a bullet. And then suddenly we find out that there's an unseen sniper who's out there to shoot them and get rid of them one by one. So it's mm -hmm. one hell of a start to a film. Yes. So, so far, you had me with this one. It's great. You know, it's like a siege movie kind of thing. So you've got a small group of characters trapped in one location under threat from a killer. And there's one of them is isolated from the group. So it's a little bit tremors in that way. Mm. And, and it had some really, really good gore effects and yes. a really good potential for a tense survival thriller. Mm. Now then, all of a sudden, I started to see a few little warnings coming up. Mm. Um, there were a few cliches started to, to sneak in, so they got no phone signal. They did the classic, let's take a group photo at the beginning, which you know is going to come back at some point in it. Yeah. And there was a time pressure set on it that they had to get to someone's surprise birthday party um, uh, and so on. Mm. So th what did you make of this film? <laughs> <laughs> I I loved it and hated it all at the same time. Oh, you um, saved yourself then. I thought you were going to say I loved it with a passion or something like that. Right at the end, I gave it an out. You gave it a what? You gave it a what? Oh, I think you a gave it a nout, I thought you meant. Like a <laughs> no, nothing, okay. you know, but... <laughs> no, I'm not northern. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what surprised um, me. So, yes, you're right. The gore effects, the action stuff... Um, some of the cinematography choices, really good. The first thing that struck me, actually, was it comes on screen, and I'm like, holy fuck, who graded... Sorry, am I allowed to swear on your show? Yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> it's, I've been so clean mouth for me, it's unusual, sorry. Um, I was like, holy fuck, who graded this? It's like, whoever graded it just turned up the contrast, the colour contrast, mm, massively. Yes. And I thought, this is going to really bug me, because the like the blue of his t-shirt but like then other bits just looked overexposed and i was like see you couldn't take your eyes off that t-shirt either it's not just me <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah just some of the tones just seem so unnatural and i'm like this is a really odd choice visually but it's brave um but it clearly didn't bug me enough because after a while i stopped noticing it which i suppose 
you know, with the grading, you're going to do that. But like the first shot mm. is like, okay. Um, it's all fine until we get the character interactions under pressure. <laughs> and that is where it shits the bed because the script is not good. No. Some of the choices made, like if you don't like films where you're like, well, you wouldn't do, why would you do that? Don't do that. <laughs> and, like you do that for like an hour in the middle of this film. Have you been reading my notes? <laughs> but the, the out i give it is that the uh, i think i'm i'm guessing here based on the name but it's a japanese director is it not yeah okay um yeah yeah my point is if this was in japanese with japanese subtitles the way people shout what they shout at each other at various points would seem completely normal right that was, okay. that was what i thought because i watch a fair you know not a massive yeah, yeah. horrors and they, they do tend to be a bit more amped up in these situations and, you know, talk a certain way. And that seems to have been brought into the script for this film. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The script is not its strength. Um, but, I mean, beyond that, near the beginning, someone is taking pot shots at them and, and you know, shooting them. And you've got characters standing and wandering around and shouting. And, and it's like, why aren't you throwing yourself to the floor or hiding behind a car for, for cover? So they, they're just standing there, you know, ready to be shot at. There's an awful lot of yelling back and forth, yes. which I found very annoying. Mm-hmm. To the point that there's one point where the, the guy who's separated from the group and the others are shouting back at each other. He says, guys, guys, what's the plan? What's the plan? And I thought, well, why not shout it out so the killer can hear you? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bizarre thing to do and um and there's little i mean it's a little bit of a spoiler but i mean at one point you do get some uh special people arrive to deal with the the sniper and they're supposed to be experts on dealing with snipers and they're standing fully exposed on the back of this truck thing <laughs> and you think these are the experts um but i mean if i look at my notes it's got lots of comments in my notes saying bloody hell these people are annoying <laughs> and stop bloody shouting at my notes for after a while it just becomes like that i thought it had a, a really good start i honestly thought it was a great start i was quite excited it but it kind of fell apart and became annoying i didn't like the characters i didn't feel worried for them no. they made stupid decisions and they shouted a lot i didn't feel any sadness when there was well there's one in particular there's a bit of a sad moment in it i didn't really feel anything for that the script wasn't great there were some unintentionally funny lines someone said oh sarah got pregnant i don't know how it happened which yes. i don't know if it's meant to be funny but it got a big laugh um, <laughs> well i think that's the point it turned the crowd started laughing yes. at the movie and that's never a good sign <laughs> it was exactly it got halfway through it and then by the second half i mean i was the same i watched it for the first half i was getting more and more angry i mean this well to say this this got my dander up let's just say hmm. um and it it really annoyed me. But then by the time it got to the second half, it was annoying me so much, it actually started to become funny. Yeah. And uh, and I think the audience was laughing along as well. In fact, it even got heckled at one point. I don't know what they said, but I know someone shouted at a heckle, which is not a good <laughs> sign. <laughs> I mean, the gore was amazing. You it know, was. whoever did that was fantastic. Mm. Um, but it just wasn't enough to carry the rest of the film, I thought. It wasn't my favourite film. Of I loved how it ended. The end. The end. Was oh, the ending was good. Yes, I, without giving away anything about the ending, the very, very final thing. Yes, I like that. And I, I expected that film to again shit the bed at the end because that's what horror films are so good at doing. And yes. <laughs> that that was like that redeemed it a little bit for me as well. And of yes. course, 
it has Graham Skipper in it, and any film with Graham Skipper in, I'm going to give it an extra point just for that. So. Which one's Graham Skipper? Is he the one in the blue shirt? Because I would have given him an extra one. <laughs> no, he was he was one of the cavalry towards the end, not trying to be too spoilery. Oh, right, okay, okay, right, right, yeah, okay then, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I don't know, because they were all a little bit, I didn't really get any of the characters' names in it, because I didn't really care enough about them. No, I didn't get his name either. I was like, it's Graham, that's Graham. <laughs> it's one I, I would, I, I would be honest, I would enjoy it, but I'd want, uh, a, you know, a few drinks and a pizza and a few mates round, and I'd enjoy it, but probably not in the way it was intended to be. If nope. you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm still considering whether to do a two minutes of death on that film. Right. Um, but I think I'd have to watch it again to take proper notes. Uh, <laughs> but it may get that treatment. No, sorry, that's that's a little show I do, which is two minutes long. And I generally do it about films that aren't so good. Right. right. All that can be funny. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Right, swiftly moving through these now. We're into the, la- the last half of them now. The next one was Tag which had another, yet again, it was the very beginning of the day. Um, And it's quite, when you're exhausted from going to bed late the night before and the first film in the morning is a film with subtitles that's, you know, it's a bit of a hard way to start the day. But uh, anyway, this one is directed by Shion Sono. I may have pronounced that did pronounce that wrong but he's the guy who also did suicide club and cold fish and noriko's dinner table and one i one i quite like xd hair extensions okay <laughs> and it starts off with lots of well women in schoolgirl uniforms with pillow fights and skirts that keep showing their white knickers quite a lot and i did think Hmm. Okay. <laughs> like so many films before it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to say, talking about the films with the big surprises at the beginning, this one had an absolute jaw dropper. It was amazing. I mean, wow. <laughs> this has, well, if you only see the first 10 minutes of this film, that, you know, it's worth seeing that this shock is incredible. Yeah. You're like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Yes, yeah, absolutely. And it is quite a gory film. And it's also a film that uses a lot of CGI. But to be honest, it's used so well and so inventively, I can forgive it. (laughs) But I love the, I mean, I love the idea as well of of strange things in it, like there's a terrible wind that's so deadly it can rip people apart. And and it kind of reminded me that I haven't made my super hot five bean chilli for a while. (laughs) But anyway... (laughs) It starts off quite confusing because you don't quite know what's going on. Is it a dream or is is she got amnesia? Is it a supernatural thing? And it sort of goes on from there. Before I say any more about this one, do you have any any sort of thoughts? It's it's a really hard one to talk about because... Mm. That's why I'm giving it to you. (laughs) Spoilery. All I will say is, uh, I'll put it in a nutshell on this one. Um, there's a hell of a lot of running in this movie and I was fucking exhausted <laughs> by the end. I, I sat watching it. I was like, please stop running. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm, in, I'm glad that you were noticing the running and not the pillow fights and things like that. So I'm compressed <laughs> at that bit. I, I, that's You've seen it all before, haven't you? I mean, if you've watched any J-horror, it's like... Yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't do anything new where that's concerned. I um, did laugh at one point when they're all standing there and suddenly there's a big gust of wind and all their skirts blew up. <laughs> it did yes. make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a very hard film to describe without giving too much away. Exactly. Um, I mean, it it seemed to divide opinion. As I, was, as I was coming out, I was listening to a lot of people's conversations about the film and people either really loved it or people just didn't get it at all. And I think... 
if if you don't get it, it's very confusing. But it's all metaphors, lots of symbols and imagery and stuff like this. And I found that at the beginning when it was confusing, um, when I kind of realised that, aha, this is what it's about, I found it fascinating. And then I had a lot of fun then trying to work it all out and trying to figure out what, what was meaning what. And some of the metaphors are not subtle, but it's still quite interesting. I mean, it's a film that I'd want to watch more than once because I think yeah. I'd pick up a lot on the second viewing, definitely. Yeah, I'd like to see it again, actually, for, for mm. all those reasons, having <laughs> knowing what the end reveal is and so on. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But it'd be interesting to see going back and making sense of the first, certainly the first act, because while mm. we were watching the first act, we had no idea what was going on. Yes. You know, what style of horror, you know, what genre of horror is this? I pff, no idea at the beginning. Mm. But um, I would be, I would love to, it's one of those that I'm already keeping an eye out for. I think it's released in about November. I think, but I shall definitely be looking for this one to see if I can watch it again. Yeah. So um, the next film was one of the older ones. So the, this was the Suspiria 4K restoration. Mm. This is film number 10. So, I mean, love it or hate it, it's completely bonkers, but it has amazing visuals and audio. It's a real assault on the senses, I think, is how I would describe Suspiria. And I'm not really going to talk about the plot or the film itself so much because it's one that I think most people that are really into horror have probably seen. Yeah. You know, so I'm not going to talk about the film itself, but what did you make of the uh, the 4K restoration? I I have to confess, this is the... the there's only two movies I sat out, and this is one of them. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say you slept through it. I, we <laughs> I must admit, it was quite hard work to stay awake through it, because it was really, really late. It was about midnight when this came on. <laughs> well, it started at midnight, and I had two shorts before it, and... Mm. Um, my my good lady wife um doesn't do so well being up so late and i had to walk <laughs> her back to the hotel and i just go but <laughs> i thought can i and it was blowing a gale outside and i was like i i actually can't be asked to walk back <laughs> so, and i've seen suspiria so many times yeah um and this this print is doing the rounds i would love to see it on a cinema screen with a big stereo system but i'd probably like to see it slightly earlier in the day so yeah maybe i'll get that opportunity um, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is one before I came to the weekend. This is one I was really looking forward to see because um, I mean, I, I know the, the film quite well, having seen it, I don't know, many times over the years, but that's on VHS and then on DVD. Um, yeah. So for me to see this was quite exciting. But as you said, it was on at midnight. <laughs> it mm. was quite hard to concentrate on watching it because I'd had a very late night the night before and, you know, a long day watching films and everything but i thought it was absolutely stunning i thought the restoration was was brilliant the colors and the visuals and everything everything was so crisp and bright and you could see a lot more detail the things i hadn't really noticed before it was that a problem because i have a question right the bit yeah. at the beginning with the hand that comes through the window <laughs> it's like the slowest bit of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a creepy noise. Let me stand right by the window with no blinds down for as long as possible to give the bad guy as much time as possible to grab me by the throat. Um, <laughs> Are you trying to make sense out of one of these Italian <laughs> films from the 80s and 70s? <laughs> but I sort of imagine on that size of the print, you can just see a bloke with a balaclava standing behind the window. You must have been able to see him. I hadn't didn't notice it to be honest. Oh, really? um, oh, but cool. then okay. I had I didn't well I wasn't really looking to notice it but I think I was just so uh, blown away by all the the bright colors and and all the you know the, the art deco styling and everything mm. and uh, the greens and the reds and and everything like that I was 
kind of in a trance from that. <laughs> um, it was amazing. But uh, the sound was really good as well. So it sounds like they've done a restoration on that too. So having that in a surround sound and everything was incredibly loud, I must say. It was quite... <laughs> if somebody had never seen the film before, I don't know what they would have made of it because it was very, very loud. But um, no, it was a really good experience to to see. And I'm really glad I did. But like I said, it was just a bit hard at that time of night to to fully appreciate it. It's an unrelenting soundtrack, isn't it? Mm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It just keeps beating you over the head. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Hi, I'm Steve Pemberton. And I'm Rishi Smith. And this is the Trilogy of Terror podcast. A local podcast for local people. Yeah, so anyway, we're moving on from that one then, because not so much to say about that one. The next one was Mayhem, which um, I had heard about, but mm. hadn't seen before. So I kind of had some expectations for this. This is a another black comedy. Yeah. A basic setup is there's a, a virus that's broken out. I think it's national. It's all, all over the place, um, which they refer to as emotional hijacking. So the symptoms are the person gets a red eye and then all their inhibitions go. And... There was a case where someone had killed someone while they were under the influence of this virus, and a, a lawyer's firm had got them off on the defence that they weren't in control because it was the virus doing it. Mm. Now, the action takes place in the office block where this lawyer firm is. Yeah. Anyway, so that's where it is. So we've got another siege kind of setup where they're all in lockdown in this office block. The virus is all over the place in there spreading. Apparently, someone has put the antidote into the air ducts, but it's going to take eight hours for it to work. Mm. So effectively, they have eight hours to do whatever they want <laughs> without any fear of recrimination. <laughs> um, so it, to me, it sounds a little bit like a cross between The Purge and 9 to 5 with Dolly Parton, but without <laughs> Dolly Parton, you know. And The Raid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's that kind of thing. So it's it's... A great setup, and for anyone who's worked in an office with all the office politics and the backstabbing and the, the career climbing and everything, it's like watching what you've probably fantasised about doing to your boss <laughs> and your co-workers, but you're not allowed to. <laughs> and that, that was exactly Joe Lynch's intention. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought it was really funny. I thought it was a really funny script. It's really violent, mm. but it's really satisfying as well for yes. all those reasons. <laughs> Like I, I say about this movie, I think it was satisfying for the performers as well because because they get to I'm just sure. unleash everything. Like there's no holding back for subtle performances here. You're acting that you've got no inhibitions. So if you scream at someone, you scream at someone with your entire being. And um, I can never remember his real name. To me, he's Glenn from The Walking Dead. He nails that oh, yeah. so well. <laughs> he's just superb. And it's just great. I mean, this lack of inhibitions and stuff. I just love all the detail in it. So there are things in the background. You have to keep your eye on the background because there'll be somebody talking and just behind them, out of focus, there'll be a couple shagging on a desk or something. (laughs) And there's at one point you get a naked man just runs across the screen. (laughs) It's just really, really funny. (laughs) Uh, It's also, it reminded me a little bit of a computer game as well because you've got the the guy has to work his way up the building and, uh, you know, he has to go up floor by floor. Yeah, there are boss levels. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was quite, quite amusing as well Mm. and then of course you've got the countdown so it's a bit like you know 24 you've got the countdown until the eight hours are over and then it's back to normal and stuff Mm. so how did you how did you find this one uh again second viewing again preferred it on the second viewing 
because um, again those bits in the background that you didn't necessarily catch the first time and mm. the little nuances in it um i love uh samara weaving is it samara weaving i'm terrible with names this is if you ever listen to if you, anyone does go and listen to my podcast that you'll hear i'm shit remembering anyone's name um, oh you could you could make up a name i'd be really impressed because i don't know any of the names of the character <laughs> the, the the actors in this <laughs> well anyway she looks pretty much exactly like margot robbie so the first time i watched it i'm like this is margot robbie i'm in love um, i was like oh <laughs> it's not her and um a film has just come out on netflix called the babysitter i recommend everybody see that she's in that as well I okay. think she's brilliant. And the relationship between her and Glenn from The Walking Dead. Sorry, dude. Don't know your name. Um, <laughs> they they just have this great on-screen chemistry. And they, they sort of play it down a little bit because you think, well, they've got no inhibitions. They could have just, like, gone at each mm. other straight away. Mm. And they actually play with it quite subtly as it goes. Or so to speak, yeah. Yeah, because they're trying to keep in control and get their goals and whatever, but along the way, they sort of take it out on everybody else, not each other, and I think that's quite well handled. Um, mm. And obviously a great cameo by the director himself, Joe Lynch, uh, in the IT department, which is very funny. Mm. So, yeah, loved it. Yeah, loved no, it, I thought it. that was a lot of fun. Mm. Which takes us to a complete contrast to the next one, which is number 12 now, mm. which was MFA. Um, and I can't remember. Did it say what MFA stood for? I can't remember. Uh, we worked this out. We think it's Master of Fine Arts. Ah, oh, right. Because I couldn't remember there being a reference to it. Mm. Anyway, um, so this one it was a, a very different one because I think I was expecting this to be a rape revenge type film in the style of I Spit on Your Grave or something like that. Yeah. But it turned out to be something very different, actually. Mm. It's it's a very angry film, yes. but I think it has some really moving sequences too in it. And it's it's one of those films. It's it's a film with a message. Mm. It's not always subtle, but it's hard not to be affected by that while you watch it. It's a very powerful and, and emotional film. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's. I mean, it, it's basically looking at the themes like unfairness of the system, with you've got rape victims. Uh, effectively put on trial while the rapists go back to normal lives and you know and 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 how it affects them like the the victims sometimes can't have children and and i like that the 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 main character is being frustrated by different things like the the women's support group where they seem to be more obsessed with the drug detecting nail polish and stuff like this rather than the main issues about men going around raping people and stuff mm. and and her friend when she opens up to a friend that she'd been raped who says not to do anything about it yeah. you know there's no point and that was all very you know quite heavy and quite quite sad really mm. um but it's also quite interesting as well because the art is used in it as well like before she's attacked her art isn't given much praise mm. in her class but then afterwards when she's being attacked afterwards there's a lot more emotion comes out in the art and it's much more expressive and she comes up with a quote at the end which she says it, about art the aim is not to preserve the beauty but to expose the truth and i thought that was quite poignant yeah and i thought it was a, a really good performance the main actor francesca eastwood mm. see i know a few names but she i thought gave a terrific performance in this she was really good clint's daughter i thought is she? Yeah. <laughs> I never knew that. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, wow. So, mm. so I've learned something, yeah. <laughs> but no, she was great in this. And I only thought there was really good photography in it as well, the way it was done. Yes. And uh, in particular, one thing I, I did like, one scene, was uh, when the, the first 
the first death occurs, um, the camera looks up to her from beneath. And as it looks up to her, she's standing right in front of a ceiling light, um, which is behind her. And you've got rays radiating out like a halo from behind her. I thought, oh, that's Ooh, I didn't very clever. That. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, just it was just like a really nice, I thought, oh, that's good. Ah. So a very different film in tone to all the others, this one. It was much more serious. Um I, I don't know, less horror, but then I suppose it's horrific rather than horror, I suppose. There's some violence in it and mm. stuff. Well, we had this discussion, didn't we? This, uh, how come this gets put in a horror festival? And as I always say these, these sort of rape revenge movies always get pushed at horror audiences because we will literally watch anything uh, is one thing. But also we so people looking in from outside don't appreciate quite how different the movies we watch at these festivals are. And you go from one end of the genre to the extremes at the other end. And it was like a film I saw at a festival years ago called The Treatment, um, dealt with paedophilia. I don't think there was a single horror element in it, but at the end of the movie, I had nail marks in the palms of my hands where I'd clenched Mm. my fists so tightly because I imagined I was punching somebody on the screen. Um, Mm. And it's like if a film can generate that kind of emotion in you, then yeah, that's in our wheelhouse. Give it us. We'll appreciate it. Um, so mm, mm. I think that's why we end up with these films. It is heavy-handed with its message, but it, it needs to be because mm. this points at college campuses specifically and the fact that they they don't report rape reports, if that makes any sense. So mm, um, mm. Th- this has been going on, and they're just trying to shine a light on it. Uh, there's many cases all over America where it's this institutionalized protection of sports scholarship stars who seem to have done things at the weekend that the college would rather pretend they hadn't. Um, Mm. So obviously this takes it to a fantastical level, uh, which obviously makes it a a watchable movie. I mean, the rape scene itself uh, is fairly graphic, but it's Mm. not... (sighs) I always pause on talking about this. It's not lascivious in nature either. So no, it's no. And I think it's handled brilliantly. Um, I, I can talk about it more, but it'd be spoilerific. I think people should see this. Film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's easy to handle that really badly as well. So I full praise to the female director of this movie mm. um, because she didn't shy away from showing you the harshness of it, but at the same time didn't give anybody chance to, I, I sort of enjoy it. I know it sounds sick, but there are sick people out there. And if mm. you're putting stuff like this on screen, it, it's a very delicate balance. You've got to strike if you're going to show it. Yeah. And I think they nailed it. Absolutely. And and when she goes no. back to him and I, I, okay, I'm good. It's a bit spoilery this, but not massively, but she does go back and confront him. And the fact that he thinks he's like, what? Mm. I was like, yes, because he doesn't think he did anything wrong. And that's the mm. problem. And yeah. Th- that's the problem that comes from pornography and young boys watching that type of pornography and then thinking that's what women want. And I would say that the women that want that kind of thing are a tiny, tiny percentage and they need to not mm. come away thinking that that is a normal way to behave. Sorry, I just got my yeah. soapbox there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So whether or not this is horror or not and i'm not i'm not sure i as i said i certainly think it's horrific um and it could be horror either way i thought this was worth watching i enjoyed is a bit of an odd word to say you know what i mean but mm. i i liked i suppose i liked the film i i thought it was worth watching and i would recommend it being watched as well Absolutely. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, next up, we're almost at the end now. Next up is the Hellraiser. Um, this was a, a, a 4K restoration as well, I think. Um, this was one I hadn't seen since uh, since it came out, I think, when I watched it on VHS. Oh, wow. That's quite a quality jump as well, then. <laughs> when was the last time you'd seen this? Have you seen it more recently? I probably covered it about two years ago. We we have a little thing on Little Pod Horror. It's called the Pod of Classics. Um, so when we do watch an old movie, it goes in our Little Pod of Classics, which is the the ultimate films. And we haven't done a lot of them. I think we've got like Deep Red and Hellraiser and like maybe one other in there. Um, oh, yeah. I think Hellraiser was actually the first one we did because um, I just see it as like the iconic horror movie. Uh, mm. Mm. So, yeah, we went into in, into in quite a lot of depth there. I didn't yeah. stay in for this because I had to get some food. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, I was interested to see it because I hadn't seen it for so long mm. and also interested to see what it looks like as, a you know, the refurbished sort of, um, you know, I was interested to see how it came out. Yeah. It was good to watch it again. It was there was there was a lot of bits that I'd forgotten, but it was good to see the bits I remembered as well. Mm. And, yeah, they were... a few bits in it that looked a bit dated and stuff but it was from it was from the 80s so it's gonna look a bit dated you know whatever mm. but uh, i thought you still stood up as a good horror film i enjoyed it still yeah what i did was i <laughs> i missed the film but then when everyone started coming out i ran in so i could get the q a uh with nicholas vince who plays a chatterer ah. and jeff portas who did the special effects on the film yes um so that it was good to catch that and get some sort of yeah, that was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I enjoyed that a lot. There were quite a few Q and A's this year, actually, which was very good. Yeah, I love them. Mm. Mm. So, anyway, down to the penultimate film, which was Creep Two. <laughs> now, had you seen Creep before? Yes. Yes. What did you think of the first Creep? I loved it. It was it was one of those <laughs> little came out of nowhere, just snuck onto my Netflix list. And I thought, oh, I'm going to watch that. And unusually, it was one of those I watched off my own back. It, and then the buzz started to sort of around everybody else um, and people started talking about it. So I was kind of pleased mm. that I'd found it on my own for once. Um, yeah. But such a stripped down, sort of cheap to make, easy horror film that's all about the people and the performances. Um, yeah. Uh, it's Mark Duplass. It's just, it's all him. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, as we saw in the second one, yeah. Mm. This is the second film this year that, focuses on like a social media person so a youtube vlogger in this case mm. it's a, a woman who has like a youtube channel where she i don't know her she has a i can't remember the name of the thing she does but she's a, she has a youtube channel and um she ends up going to stay with this guy who's a serial killer in an isolated house in the woods with him mm. and it sounds really corny but actually it's really interesting because it looks at their relationship and she doesn't know whether to believe him about him being a serial killer or not. Mm. But um it's just it's really interesting to see how the two of them interact and how she is quite a strong character in some bits. He tries to scare her and make her jump and things like that. And she just isn't going for it, but she <laughs> manages to do it to him. Yes, which <laughs> so, is super, which yeah. is brilliant, you know, really, really well done. And I mean, the whole thing's filmed like a found footage film, which is like the original one was, but I mean, it, it does suit the subjects and everything in this. Mm. Um, I, I thought this was actually a lot better even. I liked the first one, but I thought this was a lot better. This seemed a lot more confident. Yes. 
than the first one I felt. And it was a lot. I mean, Mark Duplass, um, I mean, he's obviously he's got a big part in this and he has loads of humour that comes out which I think is a lot of his personality coming out of that, which I thought worked really well. Mm. And he's a fascinating character in himself. And the, the fact that he switches between being completely terrifying, hilariously funny, and then totally charming, yes. just switches between them just so well. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's a lot of humour with references to the first film. And if you hadn't seen the first one, it didn't matter. But mm. there are lots of little fun bits that, you know, it, if you had seen it that you'd enjoy. There's another thing as well. This had full frontal nudity, but was male, yeah. um, which was, funnily enough, was the third Willy of the Weekend. Not not that I was counting or anything, <laughs> but... Yeah, and it wasn't a quick glance away, was it? It was like, no, it wasn't. have a good look, ladies and gentlemen. I know. This is what I'm packing. <laughs> and as I said, he certainly had a big part in this. But <laughs> So what did you make of the, the film as a whole? Then you said you, you liked it, this one. I loved it. This went straight to the top mm. of my list. This was my film of the festival. Uh, no, mm. hands down uh, I was looking for more of that character and he delivered in spades but what utterly shocked me was you know his female cohort who just she was brilliant uh, mm. uh, just uh, well, I think the way she was written was brilliant because mm. there are things you'd expect her to react to like in a horror film but she doesn't and she reacts completely the opposite I just loved the interplay between the two of them. And it, they yeah, were both yeah. so endearing. And they kept swapping the camera from one to the other, so the found footage thing didn't get yeah. annoying. Uh, it was just... Uh, the film flew by. Um, it felt like it was 60 minutes long. And I think it was, like, what, 90 minutes, probably. It was just a laugh a minute. The crowd ate it up. We loved it. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. And it was this was the one that won the audience um, award, wasn't it, this one? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. This was a great. This was a lot of fun. Mm. Um, really surprisingly brutal at times and violent. Mm. And, you know, uh, and also it's still definitely a horror film. But yeah, much more humor yes. and much more character. Well, much more character driven, I think. Mm. But absolutely. And it's a midlife crisis film, really, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> <So>. mm. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, no, I loved it. Loved it. And that takes us to a final film, which was film number 15, which was Better Watch Out, which was mm. one that I'd again heard of. I'd heard bits and pieces about. And you assume it's going to be something special because it's the last one and because there's been a bit of mention about it before. Um, first thing to say, I was quite surprised and impressed to see Virginia Madsen in it, who um, horror fans would probably know best in Candyman. Me, I probably remember her best from being in Electric Dreams, but I think that's probably saying a bit too much about me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'd heard was people refer were comparing this to Home Alone, as in the Macaulay Culkin films mm. and all that. So I was expecting something very, very different yes. to what it turned out to be. It, it really wasn't like that at all. No. I mean, it, there was mention of Home Alone in it, mm. but apart from that, there really wasn't any connection with it at all. But um, another film that starts off as one thing and turns into something completely different, Yeah, which there were a few of those this year. It, it's it, Because of what you just said, it is a really hard film to talk about um, mm. because of that. I would say to everybody, if you want to see this movie and you're genuinely interested in it, do not watch any trailers. Um, mm. Because I know there is a trailer out there which completely spoils 
um, the flip turn in this film. Um, yeah. I get that it's yeah. hard to build an exciting trailer if all the exciting stuff happens after the change. Yeah. It, it just yeah. In fact, people knowing that there's a twist, that's that can be a spoiler in itself. So I'm sorry about that, but there's no yeah. way around that. In terms of the Home Alone thing, it's referenced, but that's it. So to say yeah. it's like Home Alone is, is a bit of a lazy thing. It isn't. Yeah, it's not at all, no. really. No. Um, I... <sighs> I don't want to liken it to anything because that may give away what things are. So yes. all I would say is this is a really Christmassy movie. It's all around Christmas. There are carols in it. There's Christmas decorations in it. It's lighthearted at times. Um, it has a comedy element to it, uh, but it also has seething, seething darkness underneath as well. It does. Which for it the does. horror fan is fantastic. <laughs> um, it, it, it's one of the best Christmas horror movies I've ever seen is what i'm putting it down as i'm gonna pick you up on one thing there where i slightly disagree with you and that is the christmas theme because i was feeling the christmas theme wasn't really all that relevant (laughs) it was um (laughs) if you took away the tinsel there wasn't really any need for this to be at christmas because do you know what i mean oh yeah yeah you could you could have set this at (laughs) halloween you could have set this at easter it's the diehard argument isn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah they they had some i mean there were there were nice little touches there's a well we're not giving any spoilers but there's a bit with uh, some christmas lights which mm. are used and i thought oh that was quite nice that yeah. was a nice touch and um you know there is a feeling of christmas around it but i wouldn't have said it it's christmas plays an important part in the in the story christmas is just there this is the debate that we had on simply syndicated for years is that was die mm. hard a christmas movie or was die yeah. hard a movie that was set at christmas and yes, you can't argue yes. it's a movie that's set at Christmas that people watch at Christmas time, therefore making it a Christmas movie. So <laughs> better watch out yeah, as the same. Yeah. It's set at Christmas, which maybe sort. I'm being a bit uh, <laughs> cynical, maybe. <laughs> but I was thinking it might be let's put uh, let's set it at Christmas and put some baubles and Christmas lights in it, and then if people like it, it will become a cult Christmas film yeah. that people will watch at Christmas. That just me being a bit cynical, wondering <laughs> that really. <laughs> okay, it's not about Christmas. There you go. No, there you go. no. <laughs> the, the most memorable and most terrifying bit in it for me, no spoilers, is there's a scene where uh, a character has a very large spider run across their face, and that almost had me <laughs> screaming and jumping out the seat. Do, do you want to know a story about that? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Go on. Um, comes from the Q and A again but um sorry the, the fright first mm-hmm. q a uh basically when they were doing the shoot they wanted to do this spider scene the plan always was to have the spider done as cg and yeah. they had various problems on the shoot and basically the budget to make that spider was going to blow their budget basically and uh the young lady whose name i don't know i'm terrible who plays the main protagonist in this movie she said really it's going to ruin the movie so yeah she said, okay stick a spider on me Oh, oh, got not enough money in the budget to pay me to do that. <laughs> She's an absolute trooper. She had that thing put on her and she did it for real. No stunt doubles, her and a spider. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, oh. So all the gory, violent bit, that's the bit that really got to me in that film. <laughs> oh, so anyway, that was all 15 films. Um, so you will have probably done your own top three. What were your top three? So in reverse order. Yeah. Weirdly, I'm, I'm putting I Remember You at number three. Right. Uh, simply because it got me and nothing else got me. 
Um, it, it's difficult when you've seen three of the movies already to then say these were in my top because you, you want to rate the new movies. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, I, I I've got to consider it because it's part of the whole program. So for me, Mayhem's got to be number two because um, okay. I adored it probably more the second time through it's just the pace everything it's just i think that's a brilliant movie um and creep 2 just delighted me so that's my number one. <laughs> oh. oh that's interesting actually because your three are very similar to mine but just sort of flipped around right. <laughs> my number three was creep 2 mm. Um, and I will say uh, Mayhem isn't in my top three, but it's only just not in my top three. Right. It would have been, you know, it's very close. My number two was Tag. Okay. Uh, the okay. Japanese one. Yeah, I love that. Mm. And my number one was I Remember You. So my <laughs> one and my three are the same as yours, but flipped around the other way. Okay, that's cool. I do want to mention they, they play short films before pretty much every single movie. And the the thing uh, most impressed what well, one of the things that most impressed me about celluloid screams this is my first one is that they tried to thematically place their shorts in in alignment with the movie that was playing where they could and they always mm. seem to fit really well um and some amazing shorts this year but that's yeah <laughs> that's for another day oh the shorts were were brilliant yeah. yeah definitely there were some really outstanding ones this year i i always find shorts are a bit um uh you know neglected people forget about them and people aren't interested in them mm. and i think it's a big shame because there's some incredible ones out there. even online there are some really good ones horror shorts that are really worth checking out but yes this year they were exceptionally good yeah really really good and so many of the horror directors you will be seeing bringing features to these these festivals over the next few years will have had shorts in you know previously yeah and uh, films themselves come from the shorts as well yeah. quite a few recently have started off that way mm. so hopefully there'll be a tickle monster movie <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, that was celluloid screams and everything. So the next big thing coming up is Halloween. So uh, will you be having a, a special Halloween film this year? Do you know what? No. <laughs> no? I, okay, this is my stance on Halloween. Because we're in the UK, we don't do as good a job as celebrating as our American compadres seem to. No. I don't know a lot of people who are into Halloween. There's, there's no parties to go to or anything like that. There's this whole 31 horror films for 31 days of October, which everybody's doing. I think the guys on Haunted Hill, they're up to like 100 movies now for their 31 days of horror. Um, <laughs> so I, I pretty much take a step back at Halloween. And at Little Pot of Horrors, we do the same. We don't really do a Halloween special because mm. it's Halloween all year round for us because we do a horror podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh right you don't have a, an old faithful that you watch or anything like that or no i i love trick or treat i i do think it's like one of the ultimate oh, halloween yeah. movies and tales of halloween um really delighted me a couple of years ago so you know if i if i was going to it'd probably be one of those that are very heavily halloween themed mm. Mm. but now i just watch horror as and when i can as much as i can <laughs> so i will yeah be, yeah yeah i'll be going to the cinema because obviously the cinemas get more release um, so I'll be going to yeah. see Jigsaw, for example. Um, that's, that, that's pretty much how I'll celebrate the Halloween. Yeah. What about you? Well, I think after this weekend, it's been such a heavy weekend of so many quite heavy films and that. I think um, I decided to have a, a bit of light relief. So I thought I'd splash out on a Ryan Reynolds DVD. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, probably the voices. I've never seen it, but it's got Ryan Reynolds in. That's fine. Ah, perfect. <laughs> anyway, well, I was going to say that's all for this episode, really. This, uh, which was going to be a little quick one, has ended up being quite a long one. You had me on, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, well, I was going to say thank you to Boz. Thank you for joining me. And uh, where can people find you? Pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Um, iTunes, Stitcher, not Stitcher. We're not on Stitcher. I, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> it's just because everybody else says I jumped on the bandwagon. No, but you can find us on iTunes. Uh, whatever pod service you're using, you'll find the Little Pod of Horrors. So just just do a search. Um, we have a Facebook group called Little Pod of Horrors Group Therapy. Uh, so if you want to jump on there and join us, you'd be very, very welcome. We're on Twitter as well, but we don't use it very much. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I gather, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's nice as well. It's not often I get a, I get a nice man saying thank you for having me like that. So I, I shall treasure that as well. <laughs> but um, anyway, so thank you ever so much for that. And also, I need to say thanks as well to Kevin McLeod at com for the music for this, which is The Show Must Be Go. And thanks to strangeanddeadly.com for giving this show a home. And lastly, but most importantly, thanks to you. Yes, you for listening. Anyway, uh, till next time, happy Halloween and bye. Bye. Don't forget to visit and like the Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at I am Gore Blimey or email us at trilogypodcast at gmail.com. I was bad enough trying to get over when he was in, um, what was it, the Amityville remake. He thought, oh, it's a remake, it's a remake. And the next thing you know, he's shirtless outside in the rain chopping wood. Yes. So, <laughs> so there's Ryan Reynolds waving around a chopper and getting wood. It's like, what is this? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>